believe this is the second one of the year already time is already flying by and we are booking up uh well preparing for future guests already and we've had suggestions uh coming in uh a little bit i can tell you who's coming on next actually who yeah so next we have uh charlie brownlow we're doing an interview with him in a week's time uh, and that is going to be focused a lot on uh, driven shooting in this country. He came out uh, publicly quite recently and talked about limiting the bag sizes that he will be offering to clients. So that will probably be how we start the conversation, but we'll also be finding out a little bit about him. And you'll also be hearing from the Country Food Trust. I think we're going to put that in the same podcast. Yes, we will be. Uh, well, I might as well mention the first podcast of the year with uh, Sam Wow, what a popular podcast that has been. Uh, it's been the amount of messages we've had, the the amount of uh, messages he's had. Just comments left, Comments right left, right, and so how much they enjoyed it. And we knew that it was going to be a good one to kick off the year. And we are 100% going to have Sam back on. Sam, incidentally, is going to be one of the speakers at the DNA Film Festival as well. Uh, because he did such a good job at uh, he, he, he did. Uh, the DNA Film Festival, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, is the UK's first hunting film festival that we are running in conjunction with the Northern Shooting Show in May. And on the Friday evening prior to the show, uh, we're going to be having a two-hours-ish event where we're going to be showing the winning films of people who have entered their films, as well as a few others. And like I said, uh, we're going to have speakers, Sam being among them. The topic is going to be the future of hunting. And there are tickets available right now on our website, thepacebrothers.com, if you would like to be there. There's going to be a lot of people from the industry there. Uh, from Most of the organizations are going to be represented by people uh, in the audience, uh, as well as manufacturers and journalists. And importantly, all the money raised is going to the Woodcock Research with the GWCT. Which is uh, pretty cool. We might as well mention that in terms of tickets, we've sold, uh, they've been selling very fast. So we only have a very small number left, I think 12. I, th- I think there's 12. 12 tickets left. Um, what's been happening is people have been going on and buying like four or five in one to go. go. With their friends. Yeah, to go with all their friends. Uh, so if you do have a group of friends that want to go, I suggest you get on now and buy them. Now, we actually have uh, a bit of a deal there because a ticket to get in to to the the evening the dna film festival evening is 10 pounds but if you intend on going to the northern shooting show which i encourage you to do you can go and buy the combo deal on the website which is the entry to that evening plus whatever day you want to go saturday or sunday for 20 pounds so that's a discount on the actual ticket price for the northern shooting show and what the guys at northern shooting show have very kindly done is they've actually given us all those tickets so if you buy the combo deal all of that money is going towards the Woodcock research for the GWCT. Exactly. So you could end up spending, you know, forty pounds on two tickets. Yeah, and, and you get your entry in, but all the money all is the going money's, to the Woodcock yeah. research. So that's fantastic. Now I have uh, some quite sad news, which I couldn't believe the connection. I'd actually forgotten. We recorded this podcast originally a couple of weeks back, and just a few days ago, the great hunter Harry Selby died at the age of ninety-two. Uh, 
in this podcast, you will hear us talking to Phil Massaro, who is, well, we haven't actually told you what's in this podcast yet, but it's an interview with Phil Massaro, who has incidentally been on this podcast before. Twice. Yes, he has, very briefly at Iwa, and then he came on as a standalone podcast yeah. as well. Uh, we talk about the great Harry Selby and uh, the, the people who actually operated as professional hunters under him and who he learned from. And I say in there that what we wanted to do this year when we go over to Africa is take the time and see if we could make a plan to go and meet the man before he before he dies. And sadly, we're, we're too late because a couple of days ago he passed away. So a really strange coincidence that we, we were just talking about trying to meet him only a few weeks back. It's very strange. Now, before we kick into what's actually in the show and uh, the competition, because I know everyone waits for the competition. By the way, we know there's a number of you out there that have listened to loads of these shows, but they just you don't enter our competition because we've spoken to you. Enter the damn competition. Yeah. If you if you don't enter, then you can't win, and it's so easy. We make it we we make it ridiculously easy easy to win these these prizes, and we're giving them out every two weeks. Um, but before we move on to that, I just want to talk about coffee. Very quickly, our coffee, our the first of four, has been launched, which is the McNab, and it currently is on our website, and it's uh, seven pounds on the website. Um, in the coming weeks, probably the next show in two weeks' time. Uh, it might not be two weeks' time. Uh, we'll we're going to see. It'll be basically, in the next month, uh, we're going to start doing um, discounts for podcast listeners. But it'll be like the first ten people get um, a discount. And so uh, keep your ears yeah, peeled it, for that. And it might be on different items um, throughout the year. So keep your your eyes and ears peeled for that. Um, also, guys and girls, uh, just a little bit thing that might help us out. If you are on the website not just our website, any website, please read the release date and the delivery date of items you're purchasing because, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's it's okay, but there's been a number of people that have emailed us saying, oh, where is this? And then it plainly says, if you actually read the whole description, the release date, so if your coffee or your T-shirt, the T-shirts are all here and the coffee's all here now, but, you know, if it says release date end of january it means you're not going to get your product till the end of january if you've ordered at the start of january yeah we had it we had it with the t-shirts with pre-orders as well we had a number of people going oh is my t-shirt meant to be here well no because it's pre-ordered and the release date we could just not release them until we've got them but we'd like to try and give you the opportunity to order stuff and especially things that are limited um, and get them as soon as is possible it just helps us out a little bit and also also helps you out by not having to email (laughs) us uh, to ask these questions i should just say on the coffee uh i think we mentioned it in previous podcasts but this particular coffee is being presented to you all in conjunction with the GWCT, the Game Wildlife Conservation Trust, because one pound from every 250 gram bag of coffee is going straight to the GWCT uh, for use on science and research for wildlife. Yeah, these guys are the main people in the UK doing a lot of research uh, for all of our game and wildlife. It's kind of in the title. Um, And we believe that people should be supporting it and if you want to support them through this way uh 
then that's brilliant. Uh, we will say that if you are ordering um, larger quantities, let's say you've got a shoot or something and you might go through six or eight bags, which we've had a number of emails about this, um, please just send us a message before you order and we can give you a discount on bulk ordering. Yeah, we will. We are actually, we just haven't done it yet, but we will actually have a, a bulk order option yeah. eventually. But in the meantime, just email us and we'll sort out. Podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. It is in the description as well. Uh, but no, the coffee's great. A lot of people have been asking us for messaging us about this um and the other the other coffees i should say the other coffees will be associated with different conservation organizations so very very soon you'll be getting the second one. yeah you will be um i might just um add that the coffee other than the beans everything is produced in scotland it's uh uh, we haven't got to growing coffee in Scotland No, we haven't got to that stage yet. Uh, so the first one is a blend of three different beans. It's roasted in Dundee, it's packaged in Dundee, and it's uh, designed um, further north in Angus. So every part of the process that is possible is um, done in Scotland. So keeping it in-house. Yes. So prizes. We better announce the winner from two weeks ago, which was to win a set of Smith Optics shooting glasses, and the winner was Stephen Nairn. That was a it was a picture competition on social media. Yeah, and I think the picture that Stephen took was, was a Jack Russell. Jack Russell I, I might, I it, it was a terrier of yeah. some description. It looked like a Jack Russell uh, standing in the heather. It was I very really, cool. Really uh, like that. Yeah, it was a really cool picture. We'll actually put that on our our Instagram and uh, Facebook. Yeah, we can do that. And from that to this week's competition, which is to win a Hornady beer mug. Everybody loves a Hornady beer mug. We always get loads of entries for this. As well as a Northern Shooting Show coffee ceramic mug. mug. Yeah, yeah. Like a coffee mug. And a Northern Shooting Show towel. I, I might add it's not a full-size beach towel. It's uh, <laughs> it's like a beer beer uh, yes, bar yeah, towel yeah. or like a, a, a travel, Face, yeah. travel kind of... I've used mine in my Series 3 Land Rover because my heating doesn't work in there and I use it to, to demist the windscreen. <laughs> so that's where my Northern Shooting Show towel is being used. You can tell us when you win it what you use yours for. <laughs> uh, and to enter, we're going to keep it very simple, completely open to everybody if you have access to the internet, which pretty much everyone does these days. Yeah. Go and visit our website, thepacebrothers.com. Scroll down towards the bottom and you will see an opportunity to subscribe to the website. We really don't send out emails very often. I can't remember the last time we did, but when there's interesting things, we'll... We'll, pr- we'll probably actually it. be doing one soon we because will. we've got the film festival, the coffee release... Uh, yeah, there's a whole heap of things. There's a whole heap of so things. We need to keep people the point is, I don't think we've put one out for about three or four months. Yeah, so we don't spam. You. Yeah, we and we hate we hate it when you sign up to a website and you get an every email week. every week, or even worse, when you don't sign up to a website and you still get emails every week, every week, <laughs> or, or every second yeah, day. That's very very annoying. So if you want to be in a chance uh, to win the Hornady Beer Mug, the Northern Shooting Show Mug, and the towel, then just subscribe to the website. It's self-explanatory once you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage. If you have subscribed already. Don't worry, you'll be you'll, you'll be you'll be entered. in the list. But if you haven't, go and subscribe, and you will be entered and randomly selected. Uh, we have uh, since the release of the the last show with Sam, we've had a number of people of new listeners uh, that are either new to podcasting or new to our show. So thank you very much for listening to our show. Um, and we've had a number of people asking for, "Oh, can you do this show?" Or uh, I'm working my way back uh so i'm um, not sure if you've already done this um if you are one of these people and you're like oh can you do this show email us us and if we've already done it then we'll direct you to the to the, show. the show that you need to listen to yeah it was awesome actually we got an email just two or three days ago from somebody who was brand new to podcasting and for some reason 
our podcast with Sam was the first podcast ever they'd listened to. <laughs> so I think that was a pretty good place to start. But yeah. nice to hear people coming into the the media that is podcasting. And it is the fastest growing media in the world. It's it's huge. It's absolutely massive. Uh, you need to get more people on it. Yeah. If, if you are a podcast listener and... Share the love. Don't share keep the love, it to yourself. Yeah. Uh, encourage more people to download. Grab their phone if they don't know how to do it and download an app that yeah. can... Especially if you've got an iPhone. An it's iPhone, there's no excuse. In. It's already built into it. Uh, yeah. I just want to give a... Before Daryl tells you what's in the show, the interview with Phil, uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Spike, Richard, and Craig, uh, all of whom were on our last wilderness hunt of the season, just last weekend, actually, from when we're recording this now. Fantastic couple of days up in the highlands, in the snow. We had two pretty pretty nice days, but they were very, very cold. The last day was fairly miserable, but no one cared. Uh, each We shot um, eight hinds and one row for the three of them over three days, uh, helping the estate that we were on as part of their, their management call. They're busy finishing it up now as we get towards the end yeah. of the season. Uh, and it was great having them there. Great company. It was also great, you know, that, them hunting. piling all the, the meat in the back of their cars. Yes, to, they, they took it all home. Oh, took it all home. So uh, there we are. Yeah, thanks, guys, for coming. We really enjoyed it. And, th- and thanks to everyone that's been on our wilderness hunts now. Uh, just have a look out for new dates for next year in this country. Uh, there probably will be two sets of dates once again. And also keep a very good eye out for a slightly different type of hunting in Africa, which we're slowly putting together a package. We already have uh, one lot of uh, guys that we're sorting out. Uh, so we're, yeah, just it keep is, an eye out. It, 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 is, it is happening. That yeah. Yeah, I think that we've already got one trip sorted in 2019. And actually, I should mention, because I completely forgot to do this uh, last time, was that there is going to be a raffle to raise money for uh, the drought in the Eastern Cape, which has been basically going on for the last seven years. And the the winner of this raffle will win a safari worth about seventeen to eighteen hundred pounds. The full details of that are going to be on our social media. Any one of our social media platforms, we're going to put that up and you're going to enter through our website. Uh, I will give you all the the intricate details of it on the next podcast in two weeks. And it's going to run, because it's going to run over quite a few months, so you're going to hear us mention it. A very worthy cause. Um, They're really struggling there. When I was there last year, they were actually capturing game on some of the farms and moving them across across to the other side of South Africa because they couldn't bring in enough food to feed the game anymore. There's just no water. And and yet, you don't hear about this on the news. No. It's a serious, serious problem for the wildlife and the people. Uh, we think the tickets are going to be about £10. So Yeah, I think it's going to be about uh, £10 about, a ticket. Yeah, which about, sounds like a lot of money, but apart from your flights, when you get there, everything you're going to have is for. Yeah, five days of safari. And there's, you know, there's there's some great hunting to be had there. It's with a very good friend of ours, uh, Diafon Delanger, who's doing it in conjunction with another friend of his. So they've kind of teamed together. They've been donated a lot of the animals by farmers who are just trying to get some money in to uh, help alleviate some of the issues. That Ten, Ten pounds. I mean, it does sound like a lot to begin with, but we it was proven with the when we raised the money for chimpanzees our listeners are very generous uh and on top of that is an extraordinarily worthy cause because it's trying to save not just one species it's trying to well, everything everything that, that lives there needs, needs water and food the bonus is 
You never know. You might win. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, just to give you an idea, because we do it all the time, a flight to Johannesburg from anywhere in the UK is about five hundred pounds, uh, and then there's another seventy quid to get from Joburg down to the Eastern Cape where the hunting is. So it's not a massive amount of money, especially if you're winning the safari. Yeah. It's. It would be probably one of your cheapest holidays to Africa you could ever win. <laughs> And I think that's the last thing. So we just need to now tell you what's in store for you. Yes, Phil's Phil's an awesome guy. He can he can just we don't need, almost don't even need to be there because he has so much stuff off the top of his head and he's bouncing around all over the states and the world actually hunting and at events. So it was great to catch up with him. So we start the show off um, just asking him how the Dallas Safari Club was um, the show and. Uh, and an hour and a half later, that's uh, <laughs> where we end up. But it's I mean, not all about the Dallas. No, it's not. Uh, so we're, you know, we're going to be talking about conservation. We're going to be talking about uh, bear hunting and uh, overregulating of uh, firearms uh, hunting in Africa. That's a kind of uh, a little overview of what's. There's a lot more in it than that, as as it normally always is. It always is, yeah. and you will hear in this podcast that my original intention when asking him on again was to start talk about Dallas and then we were going to talk about politics we were going to go technical for a show we never got there <laughs> because an hour and a bit had passed and uh we didn't talk about I, I think maybe the ballistics technical one can maybe, as, an maybe as an extra show shove between two normal shows yeah, yeah. just talk about it for well I don't know if you can do a 30 minute <laughs> show with Phil I don't think you can but I don't think you'd want to but we, if- we, we can arrange it Phil lives in quite a good part of the the, the the United States where it's not that an inconvenient time for us so in our late afternoon he's getting up yeah oh, we, will, we will do it and then for those people who like that sort of thing you can tune into an extra show. I think that's probably it's probably a good idea. We don't want if it if it's not really your thing, sort of the technicals of ballistics. Ballistics, yeah. And he is the man to do it. He's a sort of a rising star as a an American gun writer, uh, and he he has a couple of books out now, and he writes for pretty much every magazine in America, or it certainly seems like it anyway. So that's it. Uh, enjoy the show. Oh, I was going to say just before we we finished, uh, me and Byron have just been signed up to the World Cheap Foundation. Uh, we, we, we we sadly have not been at Shot Show this year, and this is this will be going out now today. Uh, so the Shot Show is still going shot, on. Well, Shot Show is still going on, and uh, uh, our friend uh, Claire, she is over there right now, and uh, she signed us up because Sick are doing uh, a, a thing where you. Fill in your name, your card, your address, and then they pay for the membership for the for the year for the Wild Sheep Foundation. Oh, funny enough, we'd actually been talking about we we really need to go and join some of these conservation organisations based around the world. Wild Sheep Foundation has always been very high on our list, so it was kind of coincidental at the time. But what a great initiative! They're they're basically I know they've got a relationship. There I think there was six to choose from. Um, and they've certainly got that company certainly has a relationship with the Wild Sheep Foundation, but they are going to pay for the membership for one year, and then uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that we'll we'll keep that going afterwards. Yeah. Well, now we can say enjoy the show. Phil, we might as well just crack straight into it because uh, you have just come back from the Dallas Safari Show. Absolutely. Have you been? I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> We've not done okay. any of the American we, shows. We we looked at it. Uh, obviously, we've been following all of the social media content, including yours, of what's been going on. And uh, straight away, me and Byron said that has to be on the list to go next year. Now, I, I haven't been to SCI, so I, I can't speak as to its uh, appointments and uh, accoutrement. 
But I will say that the Dallas Safari Club is possibly the coolest outdoor show I've ever seen. Um, extremely geared toward Africa and, you know, well, just a, a worldwide big game kind of thing. Um, you have every one of the outfitters you'd ever want to see in, in a pleasant family style location. Things don't really get crowded. Uh, you know, light nightlife at the bar afterwards. Uh, at, you know, uh, as you know, I, I enjoy a cocktail or two. Uh, it has been always rumored. in moderation. <laughs> always in moderation, as I like to say. <laughs> but uh, you know, we ended up uh, just having cocktails, and there's a dozen professional hunters from all around the world. You know, guys like Quentin Whitehead and and Peter Daphner and and Martinez Koch. Uh, you know, the, the who's who of the of the African community. And everybody's just talking smack and, and having the greatest laughs of your life. And I'm kind of sitting here going, this is surreal. How did I end up getting here? This was uh, a little bit bizarre. But uh, this one was kind of special, guys, because uh, the Weatherby Foundation holds its awards banquet the night before the show starts. Yeah. So we got into Dallas a day early uh, toward Dealey uh, Plaza, where the uh, JFK assassination took place in 1963, and saw a bit of history around town. And uh, that evening, the gala took place, and my buddy Craig Boddington was the uh, the recipient this year. As you know, Craig is a, a pretty famous TV host, uh, author, big game hunter, um, uh, somebody I'm proud to call a friend, and he's been a bit of a mentor to me. But uh, rather amazing experience in and of itself. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of U.S. military brass because Craig is a Marine Corps colonel. Uh, the presenter was four-star General Boomer, who was kind of walking with a limp because all the brass on the left side of his jacket kind of <laughs> co- caused they him to— They do like their medals, uh, the American yeah. military. Well, you know, when you're when you're a U.S. Marine, you can pretty much say you're a badass, and I hope I can say badass on the you podcast. Um, you know, and and to see guys who have made a lifelong career out of this shows uh, a level of dedication that is rather unprecedented. You know, and it correlates to Craig's career in the hunting community as well. I mean, you know, not only is he a Marine Corps Colonel, but he's a guy who's done I don't know how many hundred safaris and. North American trips and, you know, Europe, Asia, Australia, and, and his receiving this award is, is in my opinion, long overdue. You know, he's a, a definite staple in the hunting community. And, you know, he, he had sent me an email and said, uh, I've got a couple of seats at our table for you and Sue. And, uh, I'm kind of looking at the phone going who, who is this, the prank calling me, (laughs) this isn't even possible. So, you know, we got to enjoy the ceremony at the table just behind Craig uh, with my buddy Jay Liondecker and, and some other industry folks. And it was just a really special time. Uh, I so I, I highly recommend the Dallas Safari Club show to you guys. Uh, I think you really enjoy it. Well, firstly, I really enjoyed looking at all of your updates because the one thing that you are very good at when you're at a show is putting up lots of short videos. And when I'm not at the same show, I really appreciate it. I'm sure all of your friends who are friends with you on Facebook and follow you also appreciate being able to have little snippets from around the show of the sort of highlights. But with regard to Craig, I mean, even though he is, you know, based over the water, I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of hunters in the UK and the rest of the world will know his name. He's probably at some point in his uh, career written for every major hunting magazine on the globe, uh, not to mention the number of books that he has out. I actually right, just uploaded right. a, a video uh, with him in it testing out the Rigby rifles. 
Oh, did you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yes. when I was working on uh, some stuff for rugby. So yeah, he's every yes. he's everywhere. He, uh, Mark sent him one of the first Highland stalkers, and uh, I know he used it in Kansas, killed a couple of deer with it, and he took it to Anacosti Island in Canada. Um, and he and I had actually discussed the Highland stalker. Uh, he he loved the rifle, though he insists the bolt is on the wrong side because Craig is a lefty. I told him, I said, no, no, you're just wired backwards, Craig. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was very nice to to experience that sense of family that the hunting community has uh, at the Dallas Safari Club show. You know, everybody rallied around him, and it was a. Uh, uh, just a, a very humbling experience to for me to to be able to walk up to a booth and and meet the professional hunters that I've been reading about for decades. Sometimes um, there's a gentleman named Kevin Robertson, also known as Doctari, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Of course, of course. Wrote a wrote a book called The Perfect Shot, and the uh, book. you know, yes, the book, right, right, the the holy the holy grail for for shot placement. And uh, he's just wandering the aisles, and he and I uh, got to chit-chatting about, you know, the 404 Jeffrey and the 416 Rigby and other things that are, are a common thread. And uh, he looked at me, and I, I don't know what statement I uttered. He goes, yes, yes, I read that in your in your last book, Phil. <laughs> like, my jaw hit the floor <laughs> because I went, what do you mean you read that in my book? He goes, yeah, I bought your book. <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God, <laughs> Kevin Robertson bought my book. <laughs> so, we, you know, for me, it was a little starstruck. Uh, and understandably, understandably so. Although, I mean, your your own profile in the in the the global hunting community seems to be climbing rather rapidly, Phil. But I can completely understand well, why you were you were like that. Because for those people who don't know who Kevin Robertson is, in the in the big game hunting world, and certainly in the African hunting space, he is in terms of people who are still alive. He is right up there in the top handful in terms of the impact that they've had uh, on the industry and on hunting. And a lot of that is because oh. of the book that you mentioned, the, the shot placement book, Absolutely. which is what he is pretty much famous for now. And yes. the insights from that come from the fact that he is a professional hunter, but he is also a trained veterinarian. And that's where the you know, and- science comes from. Absolutely. And, you know, that that end of things is is basically irrefutable because he you know, he's done so much research on uh, not only genetics and disease prevention, but aging animals. And I know we usually end up uh, all roads lead toward conservation when we all talk. But, you know, the the taking of the older animal and the ability to identify that has a huge role in, in Kevin's reputation and his writing. So it's all a common thread. But uh, not not to derail the train, but he and I, you know, just to be able to stand in the aisles of the Dallas Safari Club show and and speak man to man with Kevin Robertson, have the guy tell me he bought my book and, you know, it, it, pinch me. Am I dead? <laughs> no, that must have been quite incredible. You, you don't need uh, more more testament to your book than that. The fact that Kevin Robertson no. took the time to buy it. I'm assuming no, you're, no. you're not coming to Ewa this year. I asked him this question. I, he said he's uncertain. Un- so yeah, you're, I'm you're still right uncertain. Now. No, t- time is ticking. I know time's ticking. Um, I've got a couple of hunts that are coming up that might conflict with it. So I, I'm kind of on the fence yet. And if I do go, it'll be a last minute thing. And if I don't, I'll be a little sad about it. But, uh, you know, there's some other places I got to end up with uh, with some other folks. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll look for your short videos, guys, please. <laughs> well, if you we know. see you, we see you. And if not, I'm sure it probably won't be too long before we, we, we see no. you again if you don't make it to Iwa. But I wanted to ask you, of all the you've, uh, so many famous names you mentioned already, 
Am I making it up in my mind, or did I see a picture with you standing beside John Sharp? The John Sharp. The, John the man, Sharp the living legend. Yes. The John Sharp. Um, here, here's my favorite. I don't know John very well, but I always say hello. I want to pay homage. I mean, he's, he's a, a veteran of the safari industry. You know, he's got that that Hulk Hogan look to him. I was going to say that. I, I thought, no, I won't say that. But, but he does have. That. But I mean, you just want to hear him say, "Let me tell you something, brother." When you're you know, <laughs> and hit me in the head with a chair, please, he John. Is a legend, yeah. He is. So so we're at the Weatherby Award, and everybody is either in black tie or you know a very nice suit and tie. Uh, and and John was was very well dressed with the camouflage bandana around his head. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat at the bar with him and I said, you know, John, I love every minute of this <laughs> because this is who you are. Why change it? Uh, yes. yes. Uh, uh, John Sharp was there. Brian Van Blurk was there. Dirk DeBod was there. Uh, my buddy Graham Williams from Australia was there. Uh, uh, Gerhard Watts from South Africa was there. So really, you know, you're, you're walking around or you're, you're at the bar after the show having cocktails and you never know who's going to show up. You know, we're we're it was it was Cliff Walker and and Quentin Whitehead and I and we're discussing you know whether we're whether we're going to use a five seven seven or a five hundred and which makes you the bigger man. You know, so everybody's I, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, we're, you're going from one spectrum to the other. So John Sharp, I think probably is the longest uh, living current PH in Zimbabwe. I think I think so. And Cliff I think Walker, you might be right. Cliff Walker is rapidly becoming a legend, in it, but he is a much younger man, and probably he is. He's like the the, the generation that <laughs> followed John Sharp, and and he probably is seeing sadly what was the the last of the best of Zimbabwe, and and the you know a lot of the other countries in Africa that he's hunted. But I think that Cliff, although a lot of people listening to this podcast might not know uh, who he is, I remember reading an article about Cliff Walker probably about 15 years ago when I first started hunting by myself in Africa. Right. And he had just right. got taken out by a lion in a, it was, uh, the lion had been wounded by a client and he went into um, some sort of plantation where the lion had got in and he ended up killing the lion, but it really did screw him up. And he was wearing, Scratched I remember, him up a bit. Yeah, he was wearing a pair of, I don't know why I always remember this. I think it was because I thought, why are you wearing those shoes? He was wearing a pair of morales, which were exactly the same as the pair that I had at the time. And there was blood stained all in the, like the webbing <laughs> of his shoes. And he had broken, he was holding, he's like smiling for this picture and his arm is, you can see the bone is broken in his arm. And I just thought, no, that is one hard, hard man. And then since then, obviously, I carried on reading about him, and he is still a big player in, in the, well, very much a big player in the, the hunting hunting world in Africa. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, know uh, him, Phil. I, I do, I do. There's uh, there's several photos of us in in various stages of intoxication, but uh, you know that that to me, Byron was was one of the the highlights. Just to be able to share a drink with those guys, because when you're on the floor, it's all business. You know, and everybody's got people at their booth, and I, I certainly don't want to be rude and interrupt anybody's conversation, you know, especially a prospective client. But at the bar, all bets are off, you know, mm -hmm. and that's when, you know, the 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 veil drops and everybody talks from the heart and you're, you're teasing each other left and right. You know, uh, so it, it ended up being, uh, it was Brian Van Blurk, who's another famous Zimbabwe professional hunter. Uh, like Cliff, he had done some time in Tanzania, but Brian is now back in Zimbabwe. And, uh, you know, there are there are a lot of guys returning to Zim. And I think that's maybe something we should talk about. Hmm. You know, this 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 latest uh, uh, 
well, not I won't call it a coup, but the at least the ousting of Robert Mugabe, I think you're going to see him take an upturn. Um, and I think it's a very good thing because it's a beautiful, game-rich country, which, if properly handled, could return to its former glory. I hope you're right. I fear that the timeline for that might be rather long and, and quite rocky, but you know, change is change, and it's there's certainly been no change for a very, very well for most of my lifetime. Uh, so well, no, there, I think there's been a change for our lifetime, buddy. Well, I think yeah, it's no, been no. a con- cons- consistent downhill. Consistent, it's been a consistent change. <laughs> a consistent change in one direction. Uh, so this is the first glimmer of hope, if you like, during my lifetime. The, the best uh, part about that whole thing was there was a man in uniform on TV saying, this isn't a coup, but it was plainly a coup. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, nothing, Move along. Yeah. It's like, um, These aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nobody else can see the tanks in the street. <laughs> uh, I do hope you're right, Phil, and uh, it would be great if we see happening in Zimbabwe what happened in, in Zambia. I mean, they went through a very kind of, what well, was northern Rhodesia, if you go mm-hmm. back far enough, and something similar happened there, and eventually it recovered, and it's it's a country that's doing very well now. Zimbabwe is sort of oh, 20... Oh, Zambia is fantastic. 20, Zan- 30 if you've them. ever been in the Luangwa Valley, it's mm-hmm. one of the best places in africa it really is tremendous in fact my but, you know, um, my uh well our uncle uncle ted he used to be a crocodile hunter there in the valley there mm-hmm. fantastic no you know it, i get to speak to all the different zimbabwe guys kind of independently and that was the vibe i got there was a lot of optimism there you know between john sharp and brian van blurk and you know other people operating you know uh uh Andrew Dawson wasn't there from Chifudi, but Paul Smith was. And, you know, I was even talking with Johan Kalitz, who's a, a native Zimbabwean, I believe. Uh, another living legend. Uh, oh, yo, listen, if, if there's any gentleman in this industry, if there's any one professional hunter who you can say this guy is an absolute undisputed gentleman, it's Johan Kalitz. I've, I've never uh, somebody met him, but... you, you need to. He's got that voice that it's like, Johan, do me a favor. I'm going to send you a couple of scripts that are bedtime stories. I want you to read them. So I have them on my iPod and I can go to sleep. He's got the most soothing voice in the world. And, but he is, he's just an absolute gentleman. And, but, but like you said, he's a legend, mm-hmm. you know, he's done more, more hunting than you and I could ever hope to do in a lifetime. Oh, absolutely. No, because he, he had big operations in the Southern part of uh, Botswana, but he's, is he completely moved out of there now? I believe so. Yes, Botswana's closed. Although I was just looking at a map the other night. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, the old NG42 district is still listed on Google Maps as Johan Collett's Safari. So that was like, oh, maybe there's a glimmer of hope for Botswana. Well, I think um, he, from my understanding, and this is just what I hear, I think actually this came from Ivan Carter. I think that he kept one or two areas that he had for photographic purposes. Um, oh, okay. Whether okay. that whether that's still the case, I don't know. This was like eight months ago when I spoke to Ivan. Kind of makes sense if you can keep hold of it and still benefit from right. photographic tourism. Then, mm. then why not? Right. Uh, a very dear friend of mine is professional hunter Jay Liondecker, who is an uh, American. He's from Laredo, Texas. Um, and while Botswana is closed for those great big government blocks, private land is still open. And I don't know if anybody was aware of that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think I so, vaguely knew about it, but it's not something that really gets talked about. Well, I just I just booked a safari for the beginning of August to go to Botswana and hunt planes game. Okay, so. hold on a second. I just need to get my plane ticket out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'll, I'll send you the itinerary. Yeah, do that. Um, <laughs> well, oh, no, you know, it's a country... did, you, did you say September? 
No, no, August. 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 Oh, okay. We're going in the wrong month. We're going in the wrong month. (laughs) Yes. Oh, damn. Uh, No, you know, it's a country I always wanted to see. And, you know, while my heart wants to hunt either elephant or buffalo in the Okavango Delta, uh, you know, I'll take planes game on one of those huge concessions. And by huge, I mean, it's like 120 or 150,000 hectares. Yeah, massive. Um, It's like a country in itself almost. It sure is. It's bigger than some of our counties here in New York State. Uh, you know, so, so for me, that's going to be a whole lot of fun, you know, and Jay apprenticed under Johan. And so, you know, Johan's still in mound and, and maybe, you know, um, Harry Selby still lives there. So now there is a man, I, I can't believe how many people we've, you've, you've mentioned, but there is, a, I wrote an article about Harry Selby just, uh, three articles ago. I write the back page in sporting rifle, which looks originally when I took it over, it was always historical hunters, but I try as in historical hunters, normally they'd passed. But I tried right. to bring it a little bit more current and look at people who are changing the face of hunting today. So I had Cameron Haynes on there recently, much to quite a lot of criticism that came my way because he's a bow hunter. But that was just narrow-minded people who, uh, because we can't do it here. Uh, and I've right. Ivan Carter's on next. And I wrote about Harry Selby. And uh, when I realized that he, he still lives there, I thought, because oh, he's, quite, he's quite an old gent now, isn't he? He's in his early 90s, yes. Yeah. I think he's 93, 94, maybe. I maybe would dearly mid-90s. love to meet him. That, it has to be. Oh. We're going to have to try and make a concerted effort to try and meet him at some point because, I mean, in his early 90s, he's not going to live to 200. So it's something that I'm no, going to do no, quite no. soon. <laughs> now is the time and the time is now because yeah. he's led a, a blessed life up to this point. You know, it was kind of funny. You guys appreciate the history of, of hunting as, as much as I do. So Jay, uh, Jay Liondecker is a man, uh, he's, he's 10 years younger than me. So I think Jay is 36 and, and he and I were at the, at the show and I said, Jay, I'm going to make this connection. I'm going to hunt with you. You hunted under Johan Collitz. Johan Collitz hunted under, uh, Harry Selby. Harry Selby hunted under Phil Percival who hunted with Theodore Roosevelt in 1909. <laughs> yeah. So by six degrees of separation, <laughs> doesn't matter. Still there. <laughs> yeah. it's it's that's you know the the appreciation of history the appreciation of of the history of the animals you know all those subtle nuances are what make me love this industry so much you know i'm kind of the new kid on the on the block if you will in a a very small fish in a very large pond but just to be swimming in that pond is an honor to me yeah no i i I love the history of it and for me hearing the stories from from those greats those guys who have lived it if I ever know the things that they've forgotten, then I'll be doing pretty well. <laughs> well, you know, the only thing it's like Craig said to me about the Weatherby Award. He goes, you know, I'm the first writer to get it. I believe he said uh, since Jack O'Connor. And I kind of looked at him. I said, Craig, I doubt there'll be another writer who will ever, you know, have, have enough experience to qualify for the Weatherby Award. He kind of winked his eye, kid, and he goes, uh, you know, you never know, kid. You never know. Keep going. It might be you. And I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's that sense of family that you can walk around the Dallas Safari Club show, and and there's John Sharp at his booth who puts down his uh, his cantaloupe that he's eating to shake your hand and have a conversation about his hunting season and you know how the how the game's doing in his particular block or what have you. And there there's no pretenses or you know get out of here, kid. You know, I I really I really do appreciate everything DSC does. It's a fantastic organization. Just for those people, and 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 for me, because I, I've never been and only seen the videos that you put up. What what can you expect outside of what you've told us already? What can you expect if you go to that show to see and and, and like scale scale well, of size and everything? 
Okay, I, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think the attendance at the Dallas Safari Club show is either equal to or slightly surpassed the attendance at Safari Club International. Okay. Now, while it's not necessarily a competition, but it just gives you an idea of scale. Uh, the room is basically, it's, it's at the K. Bailey Hutchinson uh, Convention Center. So it's a huge, huge convention center. Uh, the Omnia Hotel is just above. What they do is basically break it up into three major areas. You've got the main floor, I'll call it, uh, with the Jumbotron big TV screen, which I saw myself on on a buffalo hunt, which also gave me goose my Anyway, <laughs> uh, in that hall are are a lot of the taxidermists, are the majority of the the outfitters. You know, uh, Marina Lamprecht from uh, Namibia has a great big booth. Uh, you know, you'll see a, a lot of the major players, Mark Haldane from Mozambique, oh, of uh, so on and so forth. They'll be in that main hall. Um, and then up a little set of stairs and to the right is probably an equal sized hall. And that's what they call the, the rifle area. So a lot of the fine gun people are up in there. Heim Rifles is there. Ralph Martini's there. Obviously, Rigby is there. Wesley Richards. Uh, William Evans. So you're not getting the majority of the American Winchester, Ruger, Remington kind of uh, caliber of uh, pun intended caliber of rifles. It's it's more of a you know more of the the fine English rifles. Uh, a lot of the the big doubles are there. You you know you can handle a, a Verney Caron seven hundred if you've never picked one up. And I think your good lady um, was holding one. Was she not in a picture? <laughs> I had to do another podcast. I left her alone for an hour, and that's what that turned into. <laughs> I hope she hey, now honey, has here's it me in the with cabinet. a 700. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, can you reach the trigger? It's got a bit of a long length of pull. No, no, no. Put that. We don't want that one. <laughs> because if you miss, you can jump in the barrel and hide from the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the holes in the pipe are that big. You know, obviously that that beautiful 404 takedown, and I've got a very soft spot in my heart for the 404 Jeffrey, but a Wesley Richards with those kind of appointments and that kind of furniture in a takedown rifle. I, you know, I had to get a lobster bib because I began to drool on the booth, <laughs> you know, so, so you've got all those people, but you can speak to them, you know, and that's the beauty of it. You know, if you want to, if you want to have Chris sells from high measure you for a double rifle, if you want to handle them and, and get a feel for it, they're there and they're approachable. Uh, and not only that, they have a fantastic uh, custom gun maker little section, kind of quarantined off in the corner. Uh, you know, some of the guys are just stock makers. Some of them are just engravers. So you can get a feel for, you know, how a stock is made if you wanted a custom stock for your rifle. Or if you wanted to see the the meticulous number of, of, of hours that went into an Arabic, you know, uh, Arabesque scroll on a, on a receiver, you can really get a feel for who that craftsman is. Not just seeing his finished work, you know, and, you know, you, you get to meet the person. What does a guy look like? You know, who is he? Is, you know, how long has he been studying? He, he'll tell you about his apprenticeship and, and all that kind of stuff, which goes on forever. And it's, it's you know, one of the few actual hands-on craftsman kind of guilds there are. So, you know, all that stuff is available to you. Um, in the third the third section of the show, uh, off the main hall on the other side, you'll see some of the smaller booths. Uh, and, and not that they're any less of, of an outfitter. It's just a, possibly the booths are a little smaller. Uh, there might be some tree stand people because it is in Texas. Uh, a lot of those corn feeders, a lot of those uh, high stands, I guess you guys would refer to them in England, um, where you can you can put them out on your ranch and cover a lot of ground. So there's there's different stuff to see all around but you know the whole while you're walking past fantastic taxidermy 
uh, I, I believe it was last year, they had a 56-inch sable. 56. If you can imagine, 56-inch <laughs> sable. And I'm looking at this thing going, it looks like a damn different species. He, he must have scars all over his butt from stabbing himself with a horn. <laughs> but that, that, was, that was definitely just a sable, not a giant sable. No, it wasn't a giant sable from Angola. It was just oh. a, a common sable. Wow. <laughs> the I thought just thought I'd I've check. <laughs> yeah, you know, right, right. I thought the same thing. I'm looking for the facial markings. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, this year they had a beautiful full-body mounted lion. Um, and, and all around the place, you know, DSC does an awful lot. Again, not to bring it back to cons uh, conservation. Oh, but that is that is DSC's bag. You know, it, it's it's an organization that wants to promote the conservation and utilization of species. So just as an example from the proceeds from all this stuff, Dallas Safari Club sponsors the anti-poaching unit at Mark Haldane's place in Kutata 11 in Mozambique. Uh -huh. And they've provided him with an R-22 helicopter and a half a dozen motorcycles. And as a result, Mark has, has increased the game on Kutata 11 by as much as tenfold in some instances. Uh, it's, so That's exactly they, they the kind of stuff that we... You know, actually, Ivan speaks very highly of Mark, as does pretty much everybody in the industry that right, I've ever right. spoken to. And he did, well, last time Ivan was on, he did specifically talk about the anti-poaching that he was doing there. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was mentioned at the time that some of the funding came from DSC. So that's great to hear from you from you now. It is. It is. You'll see the DSC logo on that little blue bumblebee helicopter he's got. And, you know, Mark has taken enough gin traps out of Kutata 11 that he's using them not only for reinforcing steel and when he has to pour concrete, but he's starting to bring them to the shows to sell them as a, a souvenir or a decoration. But it also enlightens people as to how, you know, how crude but yet cruel a homemade gin trap can be. You know, so it, 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 it all kind of, come, uh, kind of comes full circle at the DSC show for me. What is the... What is the general feeling there at the show about the future of particularly big game hunting and, and especially being able to bring whatever it is that you've been hunting back? Because you've, you've faced, especially over in the States, a lot of restrictions, a lot of uh, conversations have been had right up at sort of presidential level with regards to right. import of various trophies, whether that be you know, elephants or lions, et cetera, et cetera. Dallas Safari Club, and again, I'm I'm a member, but I'm not their spokesman. So you know, just look at it in that light. Dallas Safari Club has, you know, the Dallas Safari Club Foundation and and various you know little sub organizations thereof have always been number one at promoting the conservation message. Uh, I don't know if you caught the episode of Tracked Across Africa that I did, but Dallas Safari Club used that footage where we donated the entire buffalo that I had I had hunted to the village. Uh, and behind me was all the, the wives of, of those, those members of the village with their children receiving a piece of meat. And I kind of prattled on about the fact that you're in an area that is a protein starved and B in, in a location where a grocery store is not available. So this, this relationship that especially Mark Haldane's outfit has with the villages within his block is integral to the survival of the people. You know, he provides my, I, I think the numbers were like 40 buffalo and 80 reed buck a year. That's the meat he provides to the local community. That's the meat he that's provides. So, so what, that's a ton of, you know, so, so whether he shoots ration buffalo and, and sells the hunt so that the horns and the hide aren't exportable. So you get the experience, but the meat goes to the people that that's one means, or he'll send the professional hunters out to shoot meat for the villages. Um, 
you know, DSC has always been behind that kind of thing. And, you know, while Ryan Zinke, our head of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, I believe is is working hard to get President Trump to relax those importation bans, which, in my opinion, is a very smart thing. Uh, you know, there's there's obviously the emotion driven sentiment from the antis, greenies, uh, vegans, whatever you want to call them, that they, you know, if they think we won't import it, it won't get hunted. And, you know, you know, that's not the case. Uh, you, you, you know, the no elephant to use that as an example are so minuscule it couldn't possibly have that kind of negative impact on the population number one number two it's already controlled by cites and you know dallas safari club is integral in bringing those points to light via social media via magazine articles you know and, and other means of, of communication just for those that are i mean look if, if you're an anti-hunter i doubt anything i ever write or dsc or sci or any organization prints is going to change your mind you know it, it's kind of become polarized like that that animal is cute and fuzzy no one should ever kill one but they don't realize that when we stop hunting them as we have in in botswana as we have in kenya uh the you know it isn't that everything just thrives in a in a you know pre pre colonization kind of environment no people move in the animals have conflicts with human they get poisoned they uh, via cyanide they get shot in the foot they get snared and it's a horrible environment but if you have that hunting thing in there you know which is dallas safari club's point if it pays it stays and if it's if it's properly managed everybody wins the people win that are native you know obviously the the animals thrive because you have space for them so, you know, like, like I say, the Mark Haldane's anti-poaching unit is just uh, one small example of how well they work. There, there are obviously others, but uh, it, it takes an organization with that kind of power to help things out and, and make a difference, to really make a difference in what happens. Yeah, I guess I kind of thought when, I mean, whatever you the, whatever you think of Trump and all the other things uh, outside of, of hunting, I, I kind of thought, and I think a lot of the hunting community in the States would have thought that when he came in, that that stuff would get relaxed, that the 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 import rules would change, and a lot of the the uh, the ability to bring in trophies that had been closed down uh, during the Obama administration would mm -hmm. would would come open again. But it doesn't seem like at the moment that's the case, despite the fact that Trump's son no. is a, an avid hunter. Right, well, right, right, and I'm sure Thanksgiving dinner was rather awkward around the table. <laughs> yeah, can you, you know? imagine that? <laughs> Dad, pass the potatoes, would you? <laughs> Why aren't you looking at me? I don't want to talk to you. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know any of the Trumps personally. Uh, I, I'd actually love to meet them. I find them to be very interesting people. I'm very happy he was elected president. What I think is happening here, though, guys, uh, and I'm going to be optimistic, but I'm going to throw my, my forecast out like the Vegas odds. Um, I think they are taking a long, hard look at the scientific numbers to make sure that if he does relax that ban, he's got the information and the statement to back it up properly. <clears throat> you know, some of my uh, some of my colleagues have had the opportunity to interview Mr. Zinke um, to get his feel for things. And, you know, like any government, you can't, you know, the, the leader can't know everything about everything. And that's why he assembles a cabinet. And that's why he... He puts together a, uh, a group of people who have their own specialties. And I think Ryan Zinke is a, a good man. And I think what they're going to end up doing, here's, here's Massaro's prediction, you're going to see within the next couple of months, they're going to relax the importation of ivory from at least Zimbabwe. Maybe not Tanzania, 
India, but you're going to see him be able to bring it back from Zimbabwe. I I think the numbers are there. The science is there. And at the end of the day, the, you know, what I don't want to see is, is the hunters throw the, you know, the, the huge confetti party, like the end of uh, return of the Jedi, when the death star blows up and everybody around the galaxy is, you know, cheering. We we don't really need that. Uh, I'd like to see us all be gentlemen about it. Uh, because the antis will be up in arms and they'll, you know, they'll probably have a die in somewhere or dress up as elephant vaginas or whatever they do. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it makes sense if it was legally sport hunted, number one, and number two, legally sport hunted underneath the CITES quota. What more do we need to have? Yeah, you know, I, mean, it, I, I've, you're right, though. I think it just it just needs a, a nod and acknowledgement. If it does come, I hope that you're right because, for for many reasons that you've you've covered and many that we could do an entire podcast on. Uh, so I hope sure, that it sure. I hope that it does happen, and I I do hope that it's just a nod and acknowledgement, and we get on with it because to right, make exactly. anything more of it than that. I think will cause more problems. But one thing, I mean, while, while you're talking about your restrictions there, I mean, that's really things that are happening. It's hunting that's happening overseas for you at home, mm-hmm. right on your doorstep over the border into Canada. Uh, you might not have caught up with the intricacies of this because, I mean, it's literally only happened a matter of weeks ago from where we're sitting now. But they have now completely banned the grizzly bear hunting in BC. Whereas when we spoke last time, when we did the last podcast, in fact, it could have been the one that we had to stop recording because the line was too bad. They'd put Mm -hmm. in restrictions to the grizzly bear hunting there where basically you could only extract the meat. A matter of uh, months later, they turned around and said, no, it's all over. Just like that overnight, all the grizzly bear hunting in BC has been banned. For no other reason than a a knee-jerk reaction from the kind of the green element within the government propping it up and very strong uh, lobbying from anti-hunting groups on your doorstep. I think think BC ought to be renamed BC. You know, (laughs) I do. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I I really don't know what to say other, other than like Botswana, the or or like Kenya, the antis have gotten in and got a firm foothold, and you know, look, that, that that's their bag. Uh, that's the, as Austin Powers said, that is my bag, baby. They're going to try, and we need to step to the plate now. You know, like like Zimbabwe and Tanzania, we need to reprove that the numbers are there, and that the actual take each season doesn't affect the thriving population. Well, even more than that, I was listening to, I've actually just written an article about the the banning on grizzly bear hunts for the UK press here, because it's, uh, I, I was <laughs> kind of, I said in jest, it's on your doorstep, but really, yeah. it's on oh, yeah, our yeah, no. doorstep, it's on the global doorstep. What has happened Absolutely. There? No, no, Everyone these aren't isolated incidents. Yeah, these are not isolated. Byron, these aren't. The next thing, it'll be roebuck in the UK and, and the water buffalo in Australia and, you know. If it's if it's fuzzy and cute and you can make a plush doll out of it, we don't ever want to see one shot again, you know. But f- they don't they don't publicize the behind the scenes thing where you know wolves are are are, are exuding such depredation on on livestock and and you know depleting the wildlife in Yellowstone. But, but oh, the wolf is so cute. Yeah, okay. 
Right, till it eats your dog or, you know, one of your children get killed or whatever the case may be. So we really need, do need to be aware of the things that's going on. I always, I'm always quite critical here where, where we're sitting in the UK that we don't spend enough time concerned with what's happening overseas because just because we don't have a species here doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about it because what's happening in BC mm-hmm. with bears, we don't have bears in the UK or we haven't done for a very long time. But the principle of what's happened there where an action has been taken by a government on the basis of the fact that they don't like it, not on the basis right. of hard fact right. science. There's no scientific data. Nothing. Most of it, if you look at the statement that came out from the Minister of Forests, I can't remember his name now, he said that it is uh, basically that the people don't like the idea of, of grizzly so, bear so hunting. So it stopped. And he based yeah, that Yeah, it's, it's the a, idea. It's the idea, but he based that statement. He quoted 75% of people uh, voted against it, uh, would, would like it to be banned. On a poll mm-hmm. that was sponsored by Lush, the cosmetic people that hate hunting <laughs> and everything else, well, <laughs> meat and everything. And right. the, uh, I can't remember the exact well, name of it. It's basically like the League Against yeah, Cruel League. Sports putting a, a poll on their website saying, do you like hunting? And it's 100% no. They go, well, that's the entire <laughs> well, population go. right it, there. It was sponsored by them and the... And I bet you it was people out with of um, the country as well that were voting. I, I don't know, possibly. But there was only 800 people voted. It was, oh, an, 800. A, free, it was a free <laughs> to... It was free to everybody. So the hunters do have up to shoulder a bit of blame for it because they could have quite easily voted on that poll it was on a website you basically had to tick a box right only 800 people took the time to do it now we all know that the, the voice of people who are against um we call it field sports here or hunting uh, generally around the world are very loud and they're very very good mm-hmm. at mobilizing people to vote on things or to make statements we're very poor at it by comparison to how well they get you know gather their very small number of loud people it's, it's as if a lot of us are working during the day so yeah it is. <laughs> so well you know here, here's a deal here in my opinion the, the mentality is we as hunters we've always had it why do we need to defend it yeah yeah you know you know what i mean it's it's, it's like saying you've got the, the, the you have a driver's license do you, do you need to go out and say, I demand my right to drive a car? No, I've got a driver's license. What's the problem? <clears throat> so it's the antis that are, are, are pushing for change. And, and I feel pretty comfortable saying this. I'd like to know the percentage of your listeners or my readers or, or hunters across the world who belong to an organization, the likes of Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club International, the National Rifle Association. Hmm. Uh, you know, and I find it's pretty low. It is low. You yeah, know, definitely. We, we, we've got 5 million, 6 million members of the National Rifle Association, yet they say there's 100 million gun owners across the United States. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a, a 5% organ, you know, uh, membership. That's insane. You know, I, I know personally firsthand the, the NRA works very, very hard to, to maintain firearm rights here in the United States. And I know that SCI and DSC work extremely hard lobbying, not just here in the States or, or in Africa, but in Canada. And they're, you know, they're the first ones to, to defend the hunting of anything. You know, and, and that, that, that British Columbia mentality, well, we're going to take a little vote on it and see if we don't like it. We're just going to stop it. Well, what's next now? You know, okay, so we can't smoke a cigarette inside and, you know, you can't spank your children. You know, what is it going to be? Bald people like me next? Uh, well, we got to get rid of you. <laughs> Why not, Phil? I mean, it puts me off right. at dinner. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want your genes passed on. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't. And, and, and Scotland's gotten rid of the gingers just because they are. <laughs> no, me, no, 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 we don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that would hit home, boys. <laughs> <laughs> 
But going back to something so, you were saying about the, you know, we, we now have to step up and we need to, to prove that it's sustainable. I was do. listening to um, a podcast the other day. I can't remember which. I think it was Adam's one of the Journal Mountain Hunting. And he had Shane Mahoney on who is, uh, oh, who, you know, I mean, he's, it, it's hard to find anyone who will articulate uh, a subject like this better. But he was saying, very, very interesting, that what has shifted in society uh, globally is that, now it is taken as given that something should be sustainable because if it wasn't sustainable why would you be hunting it so the burden of proof has really shifted from sustainable to enhancement and he was saying and i I didn't know this and i've never seen an you might be able to correct me on the american organizations but i've never seen an organization in this country certainly and I i can't think of one globally that's ever talked about the fact that in global treaties the wording has been changed with regard to where hunting is allowed from uh, non-detriment to enhancement. And this has happened ah. under the table. And the first time I ever heard this mentioned was from Shane. Now, he sits on a lot of these boards. He tells, mm-hmm. he said in the podcast he's been trying to tell the organizations, but I'd never heard of it before. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but this that's a no. major, major change. That's a shift. <sighs> You, you know, there, there's a couple of look. Words have words have effects. Words have consequences. You know, uh, and for example, take a look at uh, FASA in South Africa. Oh, yeah, they they changed it from uh, ethical to legal regarding the canned lion, yep. and it it spurred such a backlash that they formed a different organization for the professional hunters. The that was a mess. the the. Yeah, you know the the sly the sly changing of a term has long term effects, Byron. There's there's no two ways about it. And I, you know, obviously Shane Mahoney, as you said, sits on these boards and has his finger on the pulse. Where I'm running around just trying to preach the word and you know scramble together a living. Um, I, I and and look, I tip my hat to him. So I'm glad he's informing people. We we need to we need to belong to an organization. Uh, John Jackson's Conservation Fund is a a, a great one. And, I don't you know, know. I don't, I don't care. know that one, uh, Phil. John okay, Jackson's J- yeah. Fund. John Jackson is a is a man who uh, he puts out the hunting report. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah. Okay, so so definitely, you know, guys, whoever's listening, take take a look at him. Look him up. We need number one to be informed, but number two, more importantly, to be proactive. Yes. You know, we, we always speak of this great conservation message and we want the elephant and the bison and the, the, you know, whatever lesser forest snarks. We want them for our grandchildren to see. Well, with that, it, it's a it's a pretty sounding sentence, but we have to get off our ass and make it work. We need to belong to an organization or if you don't want to belong to one of them, start your own one that that does put hunters rights first. You know, and, and everybody who has enjoyed, you know, from the from the taking of a, of a driven pheasant to a wild boar to an elephant and everything in between or even just wants to take a kid fishing, we need to secure those rights because, you know, the rod is in. The camel has its nose underneath the tent and they realize with enough of a voice and enough of a, the stamping of feet and whining and crying and, and throwing dollars at it, they'll get it shut down. Yeah, and the only way for us to fight against that is to do exactly what you've just said, which is actually stand up and be countered. And it's something that uh, we've been quite critical of the hunting community in especially the last six months, because it's sort of come into my mind, 
is that we are very good at saying these words now because we understand that for hunting to survive into the future, it has to be sustainable, it has to be ethical, it has to benefit conservation. But a lot of people are saying the words and it's very hollow. Just because I said it when I was speaking to somebody just recently, just because just because you do doesn't mean you are. Just because you're a hunter doesn't mean right. that you're a conservationist if you're not right. actually participating. Just because you kill a deer, does it might very well fit in very nicely to a management plan and, and it, it will have a positive impact on, on the population because it's correctly sele- selected. But unless mm-hmm. that you actually have the knowledge of why you've done that, or you are participating in sort of a greater plan that you know about, or you've taken the time to learn about the species in a, in a greater depth, or you're putting money into some sort of conservation or an organization or your, your time, then you are just on the periphery and you're paying lip service to what you know is now acceptable or what the greater public deem as acceptable without actually doing anything yourself to help right. really take it forward. And I think a lot of people within the, the hunting community are guilty of speaking the words without taking action. And that needs to you change. Know, it, it does. It, it does. You know, back to my conversation with Kevin Robertson, you know, he, him being a veterinarian and a proponent of conservation, you know, we, we came to the conclusion rather quickly that the North American conservation model works. It does. You know, we, we've brought back the white-tailed deer. We brought back the pronghorn antelope. We brought back the bison. Uh, there's more federal, uh, not federal, uh, there's more uh, wetlands available for, for wa- you know, waterfowl and the like. Uh, it's worked across southern Africa. You know, you take a look, even with the, the current rhino poaching, you take a look at South Africa's rhino breeding program. And I mean, it's unprecedented. Uh, the, the rhino probably would have been extinct 50 years ago had that not been put well, into beyond, place. Beyond doubt. You, you know, so so there's that. And then you take a look at places like Zimbabwe, where, you know, I can I can speak firsthand around Hwangi Park, the western side of Zimbabwe. The elephant is grossly overpopulated to the point where it's doing damage to itself and other species. So there are me, you know, again, the the basic message is, as Kevin said, we all need to stand up and we all need to unite. You know, there's a, there's a lot of infighting and hunting and I belong to this organization and, you know, it becomes like a political party or, or whatever the case may be, or I'm only a bow hunter, you know, and this, this, you know, nose in the air, you drown if it rain kind of attitude, you know, if, if it's legal and it's ethical, I'm all about it. If you want to hunt, if you want to hunt your animal with a with a 150 year old muzzle loading rifle that fires black powder, more power to you. Yeah. If as you want to use one it, of the, as long as you're doing it ethically and the animal doesn't right. suffer, then who who cares? We're, as long as you're acting like a gentleman, because therein lies the problem. As a society globally, we've kind of relaxed all of our standards. And look, I'm I'm no prude. You know, I'm into earrings and tattoos, and I believe in that kind of thing. But you know. We need to be, as hunters, to the man or lady, we need to be respectable. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's the problem. And because honest. even when you are 100% respectable, they're still going to try and turn it against you. But when you, when you toe the line and step up to the, to the, to the plate and, and do the, you know, the, the, the work necessary and spend what money you can, maybe you don't buy a new rifle. Maybe you put that money toward conservation. 
you know, so you, there's a bunch of different things that, that could, that could work, but you're absolutely right. Looking at British Columbia, you know, looking at Botswana and, you know, 40 years ago, looking at Kenya and the, the problems with hunting this or that, or the other thing, you know, California has a new, uh, uh, ammunition regulations they put into effect, uh, at the turn of the year here in 2018, you know, and it's, it's a real problem for California hunters. What is it? Phil? Now, Cali- I'm, I'm not familiar with they, this. They, you can no longer have ammunition shipped to your doorstep. It has to go to a federal firearms license holder, um, which is something you guys in the UK are probably pretty familiar with, That's you know, because your regulation for, yeah, for loaded, you know, for loaded uh, ammunition. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and unfortunately here in in New York where I live, we had the same kind of regulations that were put into effect in 2013. But whereas before you could buy your favorite box of federal ammunition from a a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop or whatever, you know, uh, outlet you want and have it shipped to your door. Now you've got to go through a guy with a license and you have the it's it's, it's an inconvenience that doesn't save anybody anything. Why it's just they, one of these. Why did fields. they introduce it? Was there a reason? Well, because you know California is always first and foremost to save the world. You know they're 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 gonna uh, their governor Brown is is they call him Governor Moonbeam. He puts these these policies <laughs> they do. It puts these policies into effect which have no lasting effort but just become a a bureaucratic nightmare, a quagmire of legislation. So is it bring so, back Schwarzenegger? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, you look at California's flag and it's got a bear on it, and and you know, California is one of the most game rich uh, states in the union. You know, they've got a lot of beautiful game animals. They've got two species of elk. They've got two species of deer. Uh, they have bighorn sheep. They've got bear. Uh, one of the best sambar deer populations uh, on the planet. So, you know, California is a big state, but it just seems to be one of those liberal going states and, and bit by bit, they chip at the, at your rights. And, you know, some, as long as it doesn't affect me, well, they're not bothering with the, the semi-automatic guns. I have a bolt gun, so it doesn't matter to me. No, I, I believe that now is the time to draw the line in the sand and say, look, let's all of us hunters, all of us shooters band together. Let's all band together. Let's join an organization and give our voice some weight. Mm. You know, and if you believe we suffer with the same thing here, you know, organizations not being able to agree with one another, another to have a a unified face and and answer to things that 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 confront us on a daily basis. And I'm sure it's very similar over in the states. Could you boys imagine if they said one day, well, you know. It's kind of cruel to shoot the red deer in the Scottish Highlands, and that's one of those, you know, old archaic monarchistic kind of actions. We just feel that shouldn't happen anymore. Do you know what, Phil? Sadly, I can almost imagine yeah, that with our government. I could imagine it in Scotland. Yeah, well, I, I almost yeah, I get- could imagine that. It's, uh, but, but I mean, go- going back to what you were saying with uh, p- people. You know, I've I've got a bolt action rifle, so why would I care about semi-automatics? We have we've right. had, in fact, a prime example of something fairly recently where uh, you might be aware of it. They have banned the sale of air rifles um, in um, Scotland to anyone. Well, one, you have to be over eighteen, but secondly, you need to apply for a license. You need a license. You need a license for an air gun. For an air rifle? Yeah, yeah. You need a license now, and. Uh, what are we back to? Training with stones? <laughs> well, in, in, 
they brought What's it in the mentality because, behind that? Well, what was the they, logic? They brought it in because there had been a number of incidences, not just in Scotland, but across the UK. I, when I say a number, a very small number, like two or three that I mm-hmm. think a, 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 kid, a kid died. Yeah. Um, that, that, was, that was a thug with an air gun, someone who shouldn't have had one in the first place, who was doing something that no sane person would do, <laughs> which is shoot at another person with an air gun. Uh, a, a baby in the head. I mean, you just have you're you're not a stable individual if you're doing something like that. That person could have quite so easily let me, shot them with a catapult. Let me get this right. Uh, I'm I'm not a citizen of the UK, uh, but I do believe that murder is illegal. Yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, so rather than condemn the action, they're going to ban the BB gun with the mentality that if you take away the BB gun, this may never have happened. That's essentially what they did. I mean, they didn't ban it. They just regulated it. Yeah, so they regulated now it. It's, it's not quite, but it's almost the same process as applying for a shotgun. But so it, Would they it, have felt better if that gentleman who was obviously mentally ill had poured petrol all over the kid and set him on fire? Would, would they well, then make a... Herein lies the issue, I mean, it? a knife is just as easy to get your hands on, and uh, we have a, a serious problem with knife crime in this country, not really up here, but particularly in uh, southern England, they've got serious problems with knife crime. Knife crime? What? Never mind and, that. And gun, handgun hand, hand hand crime. Handgun crime. Well, bear in mind that we're not even meant to have handguns hand in this country. Handguns have been banned since I was not even in double figures of age. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the handgun bit in a second, but just as I, I finish, just to explain everything that's going on, because Phil obviously didn't know about the air rifles. So they've banned, uh, not banned, they've regulated air, um, air rifles in Scotland. And kind of, I don't know, it wasn't really a big thing. Everyone kind of just let it kind of go by. And the the people south of the border, the big organizations, I would say, south of the border, didn't really have much of an interest. I mean, this is England and Wales and Ireland. And the I'm talking about. certainly didn't have, didn't have much of an interest because they're like, well, it's happening in Scotland. Guess what? Now they're away to be stung. And we said it at the time. I said, just because we did a lot of interviews with people through podcasts and other things, we said, and we were interviewing people from south of the border, you know, what do you think about what's happening here? And they had their opinions. Well, I would bet that what's happening here is going to be used as a template for England and Wales soon. And they are now, it's not confirmed oh, it's going to happen, but they are discussing it now. I mean, you, you you just got to picture this right now. We're in a situation where there is no borders in the UK. So, you know, there's an imaginary border in Scotland and you only need to drive 20 miles and you can buy an air rifle out of a shop there with no license <laughs> needed and then just drive back, back into Scotland. So. Daryl, if I pick up a cinder block and drop it on your head, you'd be equally dead. It's the <laughs> act that is condemnable. Yeah, it is. It's the, you know, somebody got on me the other day. They're like, you know, you've always got a gun with you. And I'm a, a licensed handgun carrier. And I said, of course I have a gun. It's a tool, just like a knife. You know, it's just what you do. Well, why you don't need it, blah, 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 blah. And, they, and I finally put the, the exclamation point at the end of the sentence by saying this. Six million Jews across Europe 70 years ago or so would have killed for a handgun. During the Nazi occupation, yeah, you know what I mean. It, it, it's it's a reality. You know, I know for a fact during the you know the Battle of Britain when 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 Hitler was bombing and whatever, members of the NRA sent their personal firearms to Britain, and not many people talk about. I didn't about know that. about that. Look, look that up. I look will. that up. The NRA had a, had a drive. They sent, whether it was a shotgun or a rifle or or whatever it may have been, they sent their personal firearms to England. You know, so. <laughs> It just goes back to to the consistent over-regulation of everything. Again, getting back to the animal point, I don't want to see anybody shoot the last tiger, the last rhino. You know me. I'm an African junkie. I wouldn't shoot a rhino if you gave me one. 
it just number one they don't do it for me uh and number two there's a definite problem with it you know what i mean if it's a conservation tag and the money goes back to rhino breeding that's one thing take an old bull put the money in that that system works but for me to be greedy and and have the desire to shoot something that's on, on the on the verge of extinction is ridiculous you know we all want to be ethical and 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 that's something i really want to say to your listeners do your best. You know, the, the definition of ethics is what you do when no one's looking. Yes. You know, yes. you know, when, when, when no one's around. That. I can't remember. That, the, that comes from, who, who did that come from, Phil? I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the quote came from, but whoever said it was a genius. Yeah. Just, just take you it know, for yourself, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said that. That's right. Phil I did. In, in 1840. <laughs> it was on the Internet. Um, you know, you, you, you have to be you have to be self-governing. You know what I mean? And, and back to my point of all of us hunters and shooters being a gentleman, you know, educate your children as to how a firearm works. I, I was shooting a handgun at six years old. And, and as a child, I never went and played with my dad's gun. I knew exactly what it could do. And number two, his foot would have been in my ass if I ever touched it, but that's a different story, you know, but, but the demystification of what a firearm can do, it's no more dangerous than your kitchen stove or the gas in the tank of your car. I know, when, you know, we, when we do make it over to the States at some point, we will dig into this because, you know, your culture over there and your gun ownership, the, the principle of gun ownership there is very different to what we have here. Whereas, you know, we can't have anything for, for self-defense, whereas I don't know if you can have that for in every state uh, in, in America, but you can certainly in some states. So we don't have that here. And when we it, got, come over at some point, it, we will dig it, into It'll be that. a four-hour long podcast because there's so many different aspects you can talk about with your, your gun l- regulation and laws over there, especially when it comes to, and I think the ma- main thing people will talk about in this country is is your high-capacity rifles or people basically being allowed to hold large amounts of ammunition, which uh, obviously uh, they talk about on your news when there's a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, mm-hmm. Also, another thing they seem to talk about on your news is how um, it's only AR-style assault, ri- assault rifles. It's always that, an AR. <laughs> AR. I think that's just because of that, the mass. That, that I love that word. Yeah. That, that can, uh, assault, I love the word assault, assault, assault rifle. Assault, assault yeah. rifle. How do, how do you... How do you put a verb to a to an inanimate object? You know, <laughs> I um, uh, there was a <sighs> there was a news report I saw, and it was the um, I, I can't remember. It was one of the kind of high profile shootings that's been recently, and the news reporter was saying that there was definitely the weapon they used was a hunting style AR assault rifle, and and then they just put, <laughs> they put up a generic picture of a hunting rifle. Well, like a bolt action. Like a bolt action rifle. That's what they put up. It was, I'm sure it was CNN or something crazy like that. You know, I mean, in terms of wording on news, I just saw it the other day. There was, uh, there's was there been a big police drive d- down in the, the south of England for um, poachers. Essentially people coursing. Oh, hair coursing. Yeah, yeah hair coursing with dogs, yeah. which is illegal here. And the, their opening statement was, um, the police have got a new drive to catch uh, hunters with dogs. So well, hold on a second. These people are not hunters in any description. They are poachers because they are undertaking an illegal activity. And and you probably find that if they're done for the crime, it will be under the Wildlife Crime Act for poaching, not yeah. hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't. You did not have the proper documentation. You're breaking every law. To, uh, but it doesn't. Guys, you know, you know, it doesn't help us. This kind of uh, this grey area and incredibly poor, lazy reporting and language. 
Well, well, look, I mean, let, let's in, in that vein, let's let's look at the term trophy hunting. Oh, man. How long have you got, Phil? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, if if you're not a trophy hunter, there's something wrong with you. Every animal should be a trophy. Whether you're shooting red hinds or, or whatever the case may be, you should have that level of respect to want to make that animal in your mind your trophy. And and I would and, just add to that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Phil. Yeah. But I just add to that, and we probably will talk about this in in a future podcast. But if anybody wants to try and really wrap their head around the term trophy hunting, which has been so abused these days, go back and look at the history of the Boone and Crockett Club and see yep. why trophy hunting became a term and the reason that it was implemented. And it has one hundred percent to do with the conservation and survival of species. It does. Now, I'm going to say this, and it may uh, raise some ire. It bothers me when an animal is down in the a tape measure and start getting this, you know, whether it's Roland Ward, see, uh, th this score. You know, to me, the, the trophy is, is the animal, the confirmation of the animal, its age. I like to take older, mature animals, uh, you know. It doesn't matter a couple of inches of horn either day for me, you know, and the emphasis that it's a competition bothers me. Yeah. But the term trophy hunting is, is something that has been so maligned, it makes me physically nauseous. Well, he's a trophy hunter. And the insinuation is that you only look for the biggest head, you, you shoot it in the face, you cut that head off and you leave the rest to rot and it goes on your wall and that's all that you care about. When, when the, exact, the, the exact opposite is the truth. It's on my wall because I honor the animal. All of the meat was utilized. I hunted him on proper terms. And we're back to that ethics thing where I got to look at myself when I shave my, my bald head in the mirror. You know, it's, it's no, really. I mean, you know, of course you want to take a large animal. Of course you want to take a mature animal. And you want to take it cleanly. And it should be a trophy. Why am I smiling? Because all my hard work and all my effort to become a, a proficient rifleman and to be in physical shape to hunt that animal. And, you know, all, all the hard work that had to go to generate the money to be in that either exotic location or on a lease or as we were in the, in the Blair Athol grounds mm. has come to fruition. Yeah. Of course you're going to smile. You know, if you put a plan together and you implement it and it works – you're you're going to be a happy person. Yeah, it's it's incredibly so, so, misrepresented. misrepresented uh, with you know, and it generates internet language. clicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes for an interesting. Slaughtered is a good you know, one. <laughs> yeah. They slaughter the, the grizzly bear, <laughs> and look at him smiling, and, and yeah. they suffer, no. and it's cruel. I watched some stereotypically, and I'm only telling you what I what I saw with my own eyeballs on the screen when I was doing my bit of research for this article, was this, the, the, this I can't remember what organization she was from, but she was obviously against hunting and against grizzly bear hunting, stereotypically had dreadlocks. Um, <laughs> and she went on to Smell talk about, <laughs> she went on to talk about, uh, you know, them, them, them being slaughtered, how they uh, it was long and lingering deaths, just this whole barrage of complete falsehood. If done, you know, if the hunting is done correctly and ethically, that sh none of that should ever happen. And it was there was no rebuttal to it whatsoever. They never bothered to interview anybody from the other side. It was just a one-sided. Here's the eight hundred well, votes, seventy-five percent. This is why it's being banned. Boom, done. You you know I, I wish uh, and I. I 
film when we were in uh, the Scottish Highlands. I would love to see that come out and have everybody watch, number one, the strict rules that the stalker puts onto the hunter. Number two, the level of respect to the man for that group we had together at Blair Athol and the celebration of those red stags that were taken. You know, it, sometimes there's there's a beautiful red stag who would have that, air quotes, better score in the record book. But, you know, uh, uh, Ronnie was not going to let me take that because he was still in the breeding herd. We're going to take that animal on the way down the downside of his horns because that's the mature animal that needs to go. There was, and the same thing applies to Africa and the same thing applies to North America. You know, yes, there are, there are areas where the animals need to be managed and you can take younger ones or females or whatever the case may be. And it's a great conservation tool that gives a hunter an opportunity that gives a youngster a chance to get into the woods and experience this beautiful nature that we do. But if you know, you can't count all the negatives, you can't count something that didn't happen and give it a statistic. How many deer I let pass in one season until I take that eight pointer. And as a great example, my wife, who's a relatively new hunter, she's been hunting with me for just a little over five years. She just shot her first white-tailed deer this year up in the beautiful Catskill Mountains, uh, uh, a three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer. You know, was it was it a Boone and Crockett record book deer? No, but it's certainly a trophy to her because the deer density is very low, and she let pass many immature bucks to take that mature buck. So you can't count how many she let pass. This, this slaughter quote is, is just utterly ridiculous, you know, and especially in Southern Africa, where when you're hunting a government block, not only do you have the CITES quota maintaining how many can be taken, not only do you have a professional hunter who, who determines whether or not that animal is el eligible as, you know, a, a potential shooter, but you've got a government game scout with a GPS and a field book who is there to make sure you do things by the numbers. I can't imagine any more regulated hunting in the world. You got a guy like Walter Palmer who shot Cecil the lion and put the entire world in a tailspin. Yeah, a lot of people do not realize uh, the regulation that is in place around the world with with regard to hunting, uh, and that is mis misrepresented as well. What's happened to Walter? He's hiding somewhere. Is he in still a cave, hiding? <laughs> Maybe you know Phil. Was, yeah. he, was he a dentist? Was he was he your dentist? <laughs> Uh, he was a dentist from, I believe it was Minnesota, uh, and don't quote me on that, but I think it was the Midwest I wonder US. Wonder if he's still practicing. I think he opened up another practice. I, I read well, that under somewhere. a different name. Yeah, I read that. I, I hope he did. I, I hope. I hope he, you know, got a new identity and a fair shake, because <laughs> that deal was the biggest travesty of of, of you know the, that entire year. He was the fall guy. Um, he was the fall guy. They'd been looking for a reason to hang someone out to dry for trophy hunting, and they found well, something that that worked that would make there it there were bad. a couple of there were a couple of hunting organizations and i'm not going to name names who immediately took the action to revoke his membership and to condemn him uh and the principle of being innocent until proven guilty was not utilized uh as it turns out you know it was a perfectly legal and a perfectly ethical hunt you know, we can get into the bow hunting of dangerous game in an, on another pod, uh, podcast, but I I can say this: I hunted the the very uh, block where Walter Palmer shot that lion, uh, and I did it five to five or six weeks before he was there, uh, back in uh, uh, twenty fifteen. So, what I can tell you firsthand is there is very little plains game there, and that's probably due to poaching. 
uh, because of the population. Um, what there is in that particular block is a plethora of buffalo, uh, a plethora of elephants. And I mean, when I tell you there's more elephants than I've ever seen anywhere in Africa, and I've hunted five different countries, but we were actually chased by a pride of five lionesses gaining on the vehicle at probably 30K. You know, the, the trackers are in the back beating on a pot. They're buona, buona, shumba, shumba, hapa. And I'm going, what? what? I turn around and it's, you know, just after dark. And, and in in the taillights, I can see these lionesses gaining on the vehicle. Wow. What and I'm going, experience. give me the rifle. It was it was crazy. So my professional hunter stops the vehicle. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, don't you want to see him? <laughs> I said, see him. I click on the flashlight. They're five meters right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're... they're and and the the whole Huangi, uh, 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 I believe it was Oxford University that was collaring the lions. It was, yeah. That. You know, they can if you if you actually crunch those numbers, and it'd be very interesting to have a gentleman like Shane Mahoney or somebody take a long hard look at how many lions are in Huangi Park. There's probably an overpopulation of lions in that area. For the amount of game. so that sure, and that's why Cecil was on quota. So, you know, again, getting back to wrap the whole thing up, you've got organizations like DSC who are doing are, are doing, you know, great things, taking the measures to get people like Craig Boddington, who they put on the news regarding Cecil the Lion to, to be a voice for the hunters and dispute some of this very shoddy, very haphazard reporting. You know, you've got fantastic hunting organizations, Safari Club International, and I don't know what you guys have in the UK, if you've got your own UK branch or if there's an organization that, that works that way. Um, you, we, we all need to join it. We need to join it. We need to attend a meeting or two. And I understand people's schedules are very busy and not everybody has the financial means to fly all over the world to a convention. But nonetheless, read the newsletters, get a hold of the hunting report from John Jackson, who will tell a bad hunter. And, and, you know, it's, as you guys can attest, it's a very small industry we're in, oh, it is. you know, I'm, I'm calling you guys from upstate New York and you're sitting in Scotland and, and we, we have the ability to speak as if we're having coffee in my living room, yeah. you know, th that that's a good thing sometimes because we can get that information around, we can make a presence and I think we fully need to utilize it, but in a gentlemanly fashion. Yeah. And we need to, as hunters, we need to, we need to be willing to put just that little bit of time aside to educate ourselves more than yesterday it never used to be right. necessary although i think people really should have always been doing it but we got kind of got caught up in our own little bubble you might the only thing you might stalk if you're here in scotland is you might take a few roe deer a year and then you do a bit of rabbit shooting but right. it really is important that you have a more global view of what's going on so that you can have these articulate discussions when people with people that might not be it might not be a, a roaring debate but it might just be very very simple discussions round a dinner table with somebody who isn't opinionated one way or the other but at least then you can help inform them more than just what's on our doorstep because it is a small industry but it's become a very very small world and it is. If, yeah, the world is shrinking. It is. And so the, the hunting issue that we see in BC now with the, 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 the ban on grizzly bears, which we've been discussing, it doesn't take much for that kind of mindset to filter through. And BC becomes Scotland, Scotland becomes Spain. And then mm. it seems unlikely right. that something like that would ever happen in New Zealand. But... You know, I mean, you just don't know again, where it's going to end. In New Zealand, they like to poison all of their animals. So, <laughs> well, 
We've all got, but, you know, but, but you know, think about it. It, it, it. It's it's very easy to make that leap. I mean, it's it's not unheard of. No, it's not. You know, it, it, it it's it's happened in the world before. You know, with with di- different factions, and there can be a frenzy and a fervor. And yes, you know, you've got some lady who owns eighteen cats in her flat, and you know, puts on her blue blue eyeshadow in her muumu. And she wants to, you know, donate to the to the Save the Tiger Foundation because the the evil, you know, penis wielding. <laughs> That's a very like that, inc- sorry. <laughs> you can laugh sorry, if you want. Phil, Phil, <laughs> for some reason, the I, I, the I think WhatsApp just was shocked by your penis wielding comment, and it just, <laughs> it just it stopped. stopped yeah, penis wielding. So please pick up from but penis wielding. It's, been, it's <laughs> become so stereotypical, guys. It's not even funny. It's not fair, you know. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Phil, I'm. My intention today, we, as we you only know, asked, <laughs> you only asked you how the fair was. We're an hour in. <laughs> was for for us to talk about the fair. Then Daryl was going to go and do some work, uh, some other work, while you and I crunched ballistics because he's more of a hunting man. I. <laughs> Uh, like you, ballistics, I used to write, I've, I've done a lot of stuff on terminal ballistics, I used to write ballistics column in the magazine. Mm-hmm. That was my intention today, okay. but, but we've I've burnt a lot of your time already, so we're not going to do that. We're going to do that in another podcast. So what sure, I, what sure. I want to do is just to end on a, a, a slightly more jovial note, uh, because we've been talking I'm not, to... I'm not wielding any phalluses <laughs> either. <laughs> um, is I would like you to just give me a very quick rundown on a trip that you were on. I can't remember where, where was it? Poland, I think? You were with a friend of ours, Jason Doyle, happened to... You yes, yes. So give us a very brief rundown of that, what you were doing there, how good was it? And then I want to know what your year is looking like afterwards. And then we'll wrap up. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. Uh, we were with Norma Ammunition. And, uh, you know, Norma's a fantastic company that makes a great product, uh, probably the benchmark for, for good factory ammunition. I've, uh, I've been privileged enough to, to go to Amatfort, Sweden and see the factory. Uh, the factory floor is cleaner than my house, and I'm, I'm not even joking. You know, it's, it, it runs like a Swiss watch. So Norma uh, put together a group of gun riders in the world. Um, there were a couple of us Americans there trying to figure out uh, uh jason was from ireland uh, a couple of italians uh french guys so all kinds of different backgrounds um and we went to we went to poland uh, uh tersel i believe is how you pronounce it uh or shield my polish sucks but um long story short we we got to have the opportunity to go on a, a traditional european driven hunt which is something i'd never done before it's it's tremendous isn't it the tradition's amazing <sighs> You know, I kind of grew up hunting hunting rabbits here uh, over beagle hounds. Uh, it, it's my dad always had a good beagle, and hunting rabbits was fantastic. You know, guys are close, so there's a safety factor. Uh, this was like rabbits on a grandiose scale. He, here's here's what I came out of this with. You know, knowing nothing going in, uh, my wife came with me as my cameraman and or camera woman, I should say, and you know, she got to experience the thing from from womb to tomb with me. Trying a bunch of different guns. Uh, my friend uh, Lukasz had—he's uh, a, a from Poland, so he provided us with some firearms because uh, for us to bring guns from the U.S. into Poland, there was a bunch okay, of paperwork yeah. problems and all that stuff. Uh, I actually had because Air Berlin closed down. I had to fly from JFK to Istanbul, Turkey to Berlin, so it was a crazy adventure just getting there. What uh, once we got you know at the range and we we shot at some running pig targets and and what have you, we got out the first day and what a fantastic experience. Um, here, here in the States, hunting is probably a little bit more personal 
than it is in Europe. What I loved about this, number one, even more than the taking of the game, which we'll get to in a second, was the tradition that went down. You know, there was a horn call for gathering. There was a horn call for each species to be hunted. Uh, there was a prayer to St. Hubert, and and Lukasz acted as the English translator out of Polish for us, so that the uh, the game warden, I guess you'd call him, or the you know, Jagermeister, or whatever you want to say, uh, he he set down the ground rules. You know, there'll be taking of this, there'll be no taking of that. And I tell you what, it was very very exciting. You know, you you you've got the beaters in there with that hiya hua, and the, and the dogs are barking and they're clapping. Wild boar are boiling out of the bush, you know, <laughs> and I'm kind of going, this is like, like I said, it's like rabbits on a dinosaur scale. <laughs> Except these, these rabbits weigh, you know, 250 kilos tusks. sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I was, I was, I was blessed to have the opportunity. I took a really good Kyler. I think he weighed, uh, somewhere around 330 pounds, which would be about 150 kilos. Yeah. Big beast. Uh, you know, really big beast, you know, and, and Jason, actually the, the game master took Jason to go finish him. Cause he was, I, I hit him and he was up in the top of the field and the, the thing actually charged Jason. So he's got it on the GoPro. Oh, you have, to, it's a short little snippet, but it's hysterical. Yeah. He come down, you know, and he's, he's panting and he's sweating a big tall guy. And he's like, Christ, man, the thing came at me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's said, funny. This is, you know, just just a fantastic experience. But again, getting back to our previous point, the reverence shown by by the hunters, you know, by by the beaters, everybody gathers around at the end. They take fresh boughs off an evergreen tree. The game is neatly laid out for observation and, you know, for honor. And at the end of the night, you know, everybody toasts to the game. What a fantastic set of traditions, you know. It, it, it's it's a little different than what we do here in the states, where you might you know privately walk off on your deer run, or or in the mountains, or on public land, and and quietly set for deer. Um, you know this this was more of a, a community interaction, uh, not only between the hunters, where you you had that bond immediately by lunch on the first day with people you'd never met before, but you know with the beaters themselves, those guys are taking a, a dangerous risk being inside the beat, you know, with, with guys with high powered rifles. And everybody was safe. Everybody executed everything in a gentlemanly fashion. And, and no, you know, there wasn't even an instance of somebody, you know, possibly getting hurt. Mm -hmm. It's quite an experience. If you've never done driven, uh, driven game shooting or driven boar uh, as a, not the feathered variety, because that's what a lot of people think of in the UK. If you're talking about driven shooting, uh, go and do it in Europe. Uh, Find a good place to do it, though, because there are actually quite a lot of cowboys who offer um, driven shooting in Europe. So find someone who can recommend a good place and and do it because it's amazing. I I could easily see where that could get very, very dangerous, especially if you had some guys whose morals were questionable. Hmm. Uh, You know, they always explain 30 degrees away from your partner, shoot down into the beat at a wild boar. If there's a stag you want to take, he's got to come out of the beat, you know, out of the perimeter. And, uh, Obviously, it works because, you know, that that tradition has been handed down for quite some time. But, you know, as an American hunter, that was entirely new to me. And I was, uh, well, I got my little medal on the wall here. I was vice king one day of the hunt, which was cool. So (laughs) I I, I did plan an assassination attempt and a coup on the the king for that day, but it failed. (laughs) But uh, no, no, Jason, Jason's a a hell of a guy, Um, you know, and again, that. That getting back to that DSC family hunting mentality, um, 
that was a fantastic opportunity throughout the day to spend time with people I'd never met from a land that I probably wouldn't have gone to. And were it not for this, you know, hunting uh, experience to bring us all together, you know, maybe would have never met them and I'd have been a poorer man for it. You know, we're, we're all friends on Facebook now. And, or, you know, remember when that board guards you out there in the uh, asparagus field, <laughs> and, you know, all those silly little memories that, that will stick with you for the rest of your life. It is, it uh, is a brotherhood, the, the hunting fraternity. Oh, undoubtedly. Is a, undoubtedly. A, a but, and I, 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 all-encompassing. When I say brotherhood, I'm not being sexist, but all-encompassing, male and female, it's a brotherhood. Right, right, right. It, it's a, 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 family, a family unit, you know yeah. what I mean? Everybody's, you know, happy for the other guy when he or she got their animal. Oh my lord, that's beautiful! You know, look at the look at the tusks on that big Kyler, or you know, yeah, that shot you made was fantastic. You know, and and every effort was made. They had a set of dogs just for the recovery of game. Hmm. So you know, I'm pretty proud to say that on that hunt, and I think it was a three day hunt. Uh, we had 11 hunters, so there was a lot of shooting going on. We didn't lose one animal. Yeah, oh, fantastic. You know, so that that's fantastic. That 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 is the the great utilization of him. And you know, again, I'm sure that the finances produced by that are what go back to preserving those areas so that they're not developed and that that game can live. Well, yeah, there's a lot of management. I can't speak for Poland, but so where I've done driven shooting in uh, in Germany, certainly there is a lot of management goes into the woodlands there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it costs a lot. Of so money. you know. It was it was also great afterwards because I did not know that you could buy good Polish vodka in any convenience store throughout the country. <laughs> so <laughs> that was uh, I'm a fan of the bison grass vodka oh, personally. Yes. I don't we, know we, we get it here actually. You, you can buy uh, oh, Polish you? vodka yeah. from nearly any convenience store, store in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, we get bison grass here. We got quite a lot. Well, we're doing Polish something. We're doing something wrong here in New York State. I can tell you that because you, there should be more convenience stores to sell good Polish vodka. Uh, in in the U.S. or in your state, like in Australia, mm-hmm. um, when you want to buy alcohol, you have to go to the bottle shop or the bottle bottle as they bottle-o. as they call the it. The bottle, yes. Uh, is that the same in the where you live? You have to go to the bottle shop. You can't just go to uh, Walmart. A, a, a Walmart or a local paper shop and pick up any drink you want. Well, yeah, it, it's a little different here in New York, and it varies state to state. Uh, for example, we can buy uh, beer in, uh, you know, beer and uh, uh, like a wine cooler kind of thing Softer. in our convenience stores. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what? Uh, but we for hard liquor and, and wine and that, we usually have to go to uh, a bottle shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go to Las Vegas, the convenience store have a full blown liquor store within it. You know, a little and you Walgreens can get married or whatever. Convenience store too. <laughs> yeah. well, well, yes, you can actually marry somebody behind the counter at the convenience <laughs> store if you so choose. They have several polygamists there. If you just want to say I got married, uh, no, uh, was- no. So it does vary from state to state. You know, I know Texas for for a while. I remember we uh, being astounded they had a drive through daiquiri shop. Oh, see, in uh, when I lived in Perth, that was the one thing I found quite a, a funny dynamic was that oh I need to go and get my beer for the weekend and then I went through the drive-through to get my beer it was <laughs> it was just one of these uh, strange things yeah, we don't have that we here. just don't have that here and you, you know, know guys something I like Texas mentality because there there are times on my ride home where damn it I need a daiquiri <laughs> <laughs> and if there was only a drive-through daiquiri shop here I'd, I'd utilize it there's nothing there's uh, nothing no, better it, than being passed through a case of twenty four cold <laughs> ciders in your car while you're driving. <laughs> Good to go. Yeah, as long as the drive is not too long home, otherwise it'll be gone. Phil, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you, no, no, you, no. Need, you need to get quick, back to work. Uh, so you, what, give us you a, ask the me rapid, about my year? Yeah, yeah. rapid year rundown. Okay, real quick, I've got some new experiences that are going to be fantastic. Um, we're headed to Alaska for the first time. 
Uh, I haven't been. Uh, it's the 49th state. It's the biggest state in our union. And we get to go hunt a black bear up there in the presence of those great big brown bears. So awesome. it's a really rugged hunt. I'm super excited about that one. Uh, I love to hunt bear. It's it, They're dangerous. They're big. They're quiet. Uh, it's a very exciting hunt for me. So that's on the agenda for late April, early May, somewhere in there. Another thing um, I need to book. <laughs> yes. Uh, then we go to Botswana in in early August. So again, that's uh, my buddy Jay Liondecker. This is a safari we've been playing on his friends for a couple of years, and that's finally going to come to fruition. What we're going to do there is we're going to track Eland with the Sand Bushman. Oh, amazing. In but yeah, this is going to be uh, uh, number one. I love to hunt Eland, uh, a magnificent beast and absolutely delicious. My favorite wild game meat Dude, ever. Good. Uh, so, so that's going to be a, a great experience. And tentatively, you may see me in Zimbabwe come October. We're we're putting some plans in the work for uh, possibly doing another buffalo. In uh, in like I said, I think fantastic. I think Zim's coming back online. So. Uh, without, uh, I don't, I don't want to curse it or, or jinx it, but, uh, I, I hope that happens. I, I just ordered a Heim 470 double and, uh, we need to put some blood on that rifle. Uh, yeah. so well, we're, gonna we're be doing, fantastic. we've got lots of, uh, we're trying to get our plans for, uh, some conservation films based around Africa off, off the ground this year. So there might very mm -hmm. well be some tie ups there, Phil, but we'll keep you in the loop. Hey. Cause that would be let's cool. uh you know if, if we can do some footage sharing or i can help you in any way yeah. you let me know and i'd be more than happy to do so yeah. but uh yes byron let's get together next week on another podcast and we'll talk all about ballistics i promise yeah, yeah. we'll need to start with that <laughs> phil <laughs> thank you so much for your time uh it's always a pleasure to have you on i know that the people who listen to this podcast love hearing from you because we hear the comments uh you've uh yeah it's been fascinating today you've got an amazing year lined up and i promise our listeners will be hearing from you again very soon and we are only going to talk about ballistics Oh, okay. Listen, guys, thank you for having me on. And I look forward to talking to you both uh, very, very soon. Cheers, Phil. Cheers. And thank you for listening. That is it for this week. And join us again in two weeks' time uh, where we will have the... Who are we going to have? We're going to have the Country Food Trust oh, okay, and yeah. also Charlie Brown. Okay, yeah, well that's that's who we're having on in two weeks' time. Uh, don't forget that you can listen to this show on many, many forms. Uh, it is uploaded to YouTube. Uh, sadly, only right now it is only uh, it's not video right now. But we are changing that. We're in the process of uh, changing our, our studio a little bit. In the next six months, we six should months. have a permanent podcast studio. Yeah, so that we'll always have uh, some form of uh, video. Even if YouTube. it's just us drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just live, just yeah. in our in our office, so you can just watch us editing. Um, uh, no, so YouTube, uh, the next big one is Spotify. Uh, I looked at some of the stats, not just from our show, uh, but from many other podcast shows, and uh, within one month of the release of Spotify being available for all podcasts it became the second largest podcast um well pe where people can consume next to itunes that's crazy so it wiped out every single android app there is uh so it's hardly it, surprising it goes spotify really, it? itunes and it doesn't surprise me in the next six months if it becomes the biggest so if if you are finding wanting to find new ways to listen to the show spotify it's probably going to be the biggest one. iTunes, uh, Acast, Overcast, Podbean, uh, Stitcher. Some of them might it, die, you know. Yes, I think some of them will die. SoundCloud, these are all things we're on, by the way. So you can have uh, 
you can find a better way to listen to or us. We're on iHeartRadio. We're also on iHeartRadio, and we are also... Yeah, iHeartRadio is actually a good one. Uh, it's also now uploaded to Facebook, uh, but there is actually... Um, I was listening to the other day. I do a lot of research into podcasting. And um, there is a problem with the audio quality. It's not down to us. It's down to the way that Facebook pulls it from the server. And unless you click the full HD, even though there is no... Oh, is that the problem? Even though there is no video on Facebook, if you just click the full HD thing, the, the proper audio comes through. But if you just autoplay it, the audio is not very good. I didn't know that. There you go. I learned that the other day. Uh. Because we, we were commenting, it's like, yeah. Daryl, um, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but the audio sucks. <laughs> I don't understand. We listened to it on the normal podcast app, fine. On Facebook, it sounded terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's just it's just Facebook being Facebook. Mm. But they make pictures look terrible too sometimes. Yes, they if do. If you ever wondered why when you upload a picture onto Facebook, you're like, that doesn't look as good as the picture I took. It's, it's their compression it's, and the way you save it. So uh, Talking about shifts in media, I was listening to the Randy Newberg podcast the other day. You know Hunt what? Talk we, radio. We were going to... Sorry, just to stop you there. We were actually going to suggest other podcasts. We will. We'll do that next time. We can do it next time. Um, but yeah, Hunt Talk Radio is also very good with Randy Newberg. And he was talking about how... The, the way that people consume the, the film, uh, hunting films, has changed. He used to be 100% on TV through the... I can't remember which one it was. It was the Outdoor Channel or Sportsman Channel, one of the hunting channels in the States. He aired his last show like last week or the last two weeks. His shows are now available on Amazon, and then they're available for free, or like Amazon Prime, and then available for free on YouTube. And now he has an 80-20% split. So 80% of everything that they produce is watched online and streamed. And only a few years ago, it was basically 100% on TV. It, it doesn't surprise me. No. that It doesn't surprise me because the shift is... It's huge. It only makes sense because it's smart TVs. It's, it's smart TVs. It's more convenient. People are getting not in Scotland, but um, around the world, uh, better broadband. <laughs> yes, my my internet still sucks. I have been to some of what what you would probably regard as third world countries that have better phone signal and better internet than Scotland. It's, yeah. In fact, no, it's true. It is true. It is true. Yeah, it's a hundred percent true. I uh, sometimes I can't actually stream YouTube even in a hundred one one uh, one two two or whatever the lowest quality is that you can watch. I can't stream that without our community broadband here, which is not funded by. Uh, I imagine to start it up, it was a little bit by the government, but it was it was started by a guy that I know in the pub, Bill, um, and uh, it's a community thing around here. Without that community broadband. We'd be so screwed. We wouldn't be able to. Well, run. We wouldn't be able to run our office. We wouldn't be able to run our office here. Uh, there is just no fiber optic up here. And well, I, I there is, but it's connected to copper lines so to our houses, really so it doesn't work. And I live in a dip, so I can't get. <laughs> Byron has no phone <laughs> service, no internet. Uh, I got a landline, and I've got running water. I've even got electricity. Down, down. Down. <laughs> Listen to this. So this morning, this morning we're talking to him, talking about phone line internet because it's a, a common to- topic here. Uh, we're now convinced that Byron actually has an operator down the road plugging in and plugging <laughs> out because he can hear other people dialing their phones. Yeah, on my landline. On his landline. Are you sure you're not wiretapped? Are you sure like the Russians aren't listening to you? I don't know. I don't think I'm that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, very last thing to mention uh, is we had a new film out right at the start. Of the year. We might have actually mentioned it on the first podcast. I can't remember. Uh, we had a, a new film out on a slightly different topic for us, actually, which is uh, Hunting with Hounds, 
for foxes. And the reason why that goes on, why it's useful for the countryside, and who it benefits. And currently you can watch it on the Countryside Alliance Facebook page. Uh, so if so you, it's on YouTube as well. It is on YouTube. It's on our the Pace Productions UK uh, YouTube channel, which is our production company YouTube channel, which is a whole mash of different yeah, stuff we've it, done for clients. Yeah, um, so it, it, it is on there, but it's also on Facebook on the Countryside Alliance page. I think it's the most recent video. Yep, uh, and uh, look out in coming weeks. We are going to start bringing out a few short videos on our Pace Brothers uh, channel. We we have a lot of channels. We would have loved to have done it sooner, but we've just been so busy. We've been too busy making films for other, other people. people. Yeah, and we're going to have a couple of films showing at Ewa, by the way. We've if got sh- we got there. our film showing at Shot Show right we now, do. and we've got some of our photography photography at Shot Show, and then we're, I imagine we'll have some photography and definitely films at Ewa. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. That will be good. So and, if, and we'll be recording shows from there. So we're gonna. Uh, grab as many guests as we can uh, and record a number of shows. If you've got any suggestions yeah. for people to catch at uh, EWO, which is the the big sort of European... It's the European shot show, essentially, if you don't know what that is, held in Nuremberg in March every year. Uh, if you've got any suggestions of people you'd like us to try and speak to there, then drop us a line and we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll certainly do our best to try and find them and get yeah. an interview. Or if there's something that you particularly want pictures taken off or mm. us to put on Instagram, then we can do that as well. We're there for pretty much the full thing. Thank you very much for listening. You'll hear from us again in two weeks. Yeah.